I appreciate you, worship team. Thank you so much. Y'all appreciate them. Oh, do better than that. I'm not trying to coach you here, but I guess I did. Hey, let me just say something just so you understand. They, I mean, every song that David picks, he, he has went through prayerfully and, and trying to match thematically what I'm preaching. Then they practice and they practice. Let me encourage you to do something. Um, if, if when you get here and the thought is, hey, man, this is, this is just like ch- church doesn't really start till Nick preaches, right? No, it starts when we start singing together. Um, and listen, if you don't like singing, then you are not going to like heaven. I'm just telling you. So if you don't like that, don't get saved, right? Because there's going to be a whole lot of it. You're not going to like it. Okay. I'm not supposed to be preaching yet. Hey, we have a children's ministry. So thankful for the Laytons. Everybody turn around and say, thank you, Laytons. They're going to be doing Kids Club here today. And so now we'll dismiss the Kids Club age. And we do have child care on the other side for the younger kids. And when you can take your Bible, you can go over to Matthew chapter 5. George and Castle couldn't be here today, uh, this morning. Um, he'd sent a text there, feeling underneath the weather. Um, and so they kind of had some sickness coming here for the last couple days. So be in prayer. Uh, also, um, we got word that Bill Harris uh, is now moved to the Jewish, uh, to the, uh, Jewish home over here um, in Cordova. And so uh, for those of you that have been seeing him, we're praying for him. Um, so that's where he's at now. Um, and by the way, people have asked me, can we visit Bill? Yeah, we've been able to visit Bill. Um, I believe you can still do that at the Jewish home uh, where he's at. So I haven't got to go over there. He was moved Thursday. Um, so man, a man that really loves the Lord. And so I'm looking here at John 5, and I'm like, this does not look like what I plan to preach from today. So maybe I should turn to Matthew chapter 5. Much better, much better. So what we're going to do is our youth retreat, um, we did the Sermon on the Mount. We called it King of the Mount. Um, and so we, we did that as our youth retreat. And what I told the uh, youth workers is I, I'm actually, as I'm kind of rounding out this, the gospel, you know, discipleship in the gospels, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take the Sermon on the Mount and just preach through that text. Uh, so it'll take us several weeks. And I want to really do that. Uh, just because I, I would really say this. Let's say persecution were to, ha- were to happen. Or let's say that you were able to go on a mission trip. And in that mission trip, you could only bring, you know, a couple chapters from the Bible to smuggle into North Korea, right? What would I tell you to bring? I'd probably say bring Sermon on the Mount. I mean, that'd probably be, well, if you could smuggle in something for Christians to uh, be sanctified and edified with, bring in Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I would have to say even in a lot of uh, discipleship, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 through 7, you can accomplish so much for growth and godliness. If, if you were kind of a person that said, I, I don't think I can read the whole Bible this year, but if I could take a section of the Bible and really, if I could hone in on it and really grow in the Lord, what would you say? I would say Sermon on the Mount. I mean, it's an accessible portion of Scripture for God's people. So I want to spend a little bit of time on it, and then my plan is we'll preach the resurrection, then Lord willing, we'll dive into 2 Corinthians to complement the 1 Corinthians series I did, who knows how long ago that was, right? Six years, seven years, I don't know. We, we all remember, don't we? So uh, we'll, we'll dive into that. First, would you do this? Would you stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word? I'm going to read out of the Legacy Standard Version. That's what I have right here. 
If you have any kind of literal translation, such as a NASB, ESV, King James Version, New King James Version, it should follow really closely. Now, this is chapter 5 in verse 1. Now, Jesus saw the crowds who went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, to be trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Thank, would you pray with me? We are thankful for your sovereign hand. We are thankful for your grace. We are thankful that you, that you've called many of us to salvation, that you've saved many of us. And there's some who do not have saving faith. They may have a, um, a faith that is that of their parents, a faith of that of ritual, a faith of their own righteousness, but not a faith that depends on your righteousness and your finished work. Would you let today be their day of salvation? Save them. Would you let God's people drink from this text? May my soul drink from this text. May our souls drink from this text. This is normal. This is normal. This was normal for the people of God. So God, let us embrace this. Let us look at it. Not to manipulate a happy life but to live the happy life in light of what we are, what's happened to us as a result of your work of saving us and coming into our lives and giving us new hearts and the Spirit of God being inside of us. We are sealed with your Spirit. So help that. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. So this is what is commonly called the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes, which is Latin for blessed. If you're wondering what does Beatitude means, it's just Latin for blessed. Now, when you look at this word blessed, now some of your translations, I believe the new, I think the NLT might say the word happy, right? Um, that Greek word that's used that most translations would say blessed or some may say happy. Also, another definition for that Greek word would be fortunate, right? So you might see me interchange the word blessed, happy, 
fortunate as I kind of go about this message and use them a little bit interchangeably. Sometimes I may refer to this as fortunate just from the aspect of, it seems like sometimes the word happy and blessed has been so cantankered by our self-seeking, self-serving culture that sometimes the word fortunate just denotes there is a position in Christ that you have that all this comes out of. So you might hear me say the word fortunate. We'll see how things progress as we go through the text. But here's what we have. We have eight things, eight different blessings, happy, fortunate, that this is God's promise for his people. And here's the thing about the Beatitudes, this part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is not something we're going after in the sense of, um, if I do this, I'll be blessed. It's more of an idea of, this is what we are if we're in Christ. All right? It's not something we're more going after as much as this is what we are. Now, don't get me wrong. We'll go after this, but this is really a position of, When Jesus saves you, he gives you a new heart. The Holy Spirit comes in. You are a new creation in Christ. And what is normal is verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. That's normal Christianity. This is, when I became a Christian at 16, I got heaven as my home, right? My sins were forgiven. The glorious exchange. My sin for his righteousness. I trusted by faith through God's grace that Jesus was the, he took the wrath of God in my place in this glorious exchange, my sin for his righteousness at age 16. Heaven is my home. I was baptized a week later. But also, there was a lot more that I also got in that. Not only was I going to get God someday, but I got God right now. Right now. When you look at Sermon on the Mount, there is an idea of both those aspects. You see that there's this future day, but also current day. We get God right now. When we look at the Beatitudes, we get God right now. We get a blessed life right now. We get a fortunate life right now, a happy life right now. Now, when you read the Beatitudes and you look at this, as we're going to look through it, when you see this thing where it says blessed are, blessed are, I just want you to know every time you see that word are, think of yourself like this is a denoted state. This is what I am. This is normal. This is what in Christ I have. This is, this is, this is mine. This is a normal life. But also I want you to understand When you read this, also look at it not just from your perspective outward, but look at it as also what God is saying heavenward, downward, right? So what does God say? For those in him, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Not just from a position of Nick to everything around him, but from the God Almighty down says Nick is blessed when he's poor in spirit. Nick is blessed when he mourns for his sin. Nick is blessed when he walks in lowliness. Are y'all catching the drift here? Are y'all catching it? All right, so let's go through it and let's, let's look at this. Um, a blessed life from God's perspective on down from our life as it, as it makes its way out. And by the way, once again, this is more of a state of, of what you are. This is normal. And then as a result of this, we'll see in a minute in verse 13 through 16, the outward manifestation of this happens as we live out verses 1 through 12, we show the world verses 13 through 16. But we'll get to that here in just a minute. Blessed, look at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, I think all of us know what it means to be poor, right? I'm not saying like we, we understand, but we know conceptually what poor means. When you see the word poor, it has this idea of you are dependent on somebody else for resources, right? 
when someone is poor, it means that they don't have much and that they're, what little they have, they're, they're so dependent. You're so dependent. That's what it, when, a per, when it says poor. Now, it has nothing to do with economics here, right? It, but it does have to do with like economics of the soul, the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? It's those that realize they are bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. Before I became a follower of Jesus at age 16, I could tell you, I was poor. I was poor. I was poor in spirit. It meant that I was bankrupt. I didn't have any righteousness of my own. I was so far gone. I was so far a sinner. I was so far under the wrath of God. The poor in spirit. I mean, I, like I, I was spiritually bankrupt. I had nothing. I was completely dependent on someone else for any kind of spiritual currency. At age 16, the Lord applied his righteousness to my account. And then now I'm no longer spiritually bankrupt. Now, the text starts off with, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, if you're online and you've never trusted Christ, Christ is not yours, here's your biggest problem, verse 3. You're not poor in spirit. Until you realize you're poor, until you realize you can't save yourself, you can't do enough good things, you can't do enough good works, you can't go to church enough, you're poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, right? Poor can't do anything. Poor in spirit can't do anything. You need someone who has wealth and resources, Jesus on the cross, we get this glorious exchange, his righteousness for my sin. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are those that belong to heaven? Are those that are poor in spirit? Have you realized that you need Christ because your sins have condemned you? Have you realized there's nothing good in you? Have you realized that there's no righteousness in you? Here's what I used to think before I became a follower of Jesus. And really, my exposure to the gospel started at age 15, before age 15, when I would think about eternity and I would think about the Lord, whatever I understood at that moment, here's what I thought. If your good outweighs your bad, then God's going to say, come on in, right? Come on into heaven. That's what I thought. And I can remember there was a movie that came out way back in the day, and some of you, we're going to date each other when we say this. There was a movie that came out that frightened me, right, that I watched, and that's when I started to really, uh, it's weird. God can use anything he wants to use. But do y'all remember a movie called Ghost? Anybody remember that movie? Right? All the gray hairs are like, yeah, I remember that. Right? You remember at the, end, at the end when the evil people were drugged down to hell, basically, from these really invisible shadows and stuff? I can remember watching that thinking, absolutely frightening, right? And for some of you that maybe seen it, you know, Good for you, because it, I can't recommend it probably, right? It's been, every, every time I recommend an old 80s movie, it ends up not being a great recommendation, right? I guess things, things weren't as clean in the 80s as we thought they were. But I remember getting so frightened. And I remember thinking after that movie, hey, I better make sure my good outweighs my bad, or else when I die, I don't want to be drugged down to hell. I mean, that was just the thought I got from, I mean, you know, whatever else was supposed to be communicated that movie, I, that didn't imprint on me. It was the idea of, I do not want to be drugged down to hell by some, by some demon, you know, shifty shadows. By the way, that's not how it happens, but I'm just saying that's all I knew at the time. And that was just my beginning journey, but I'm, I'm telling you, until I met Christ, if you would have asked me, that would have been my answer. It wouldn't have been poor in spirit. It would have said, Rich in works. Blessed are the rich in works, for they will see the kingdom of God. You'll split hell wide open if that's what you think. It's not those who are rich in works. It's those who are poor in spirit. Those who know 
that they are bankrupt. They can't earn their way to God. They have so much sin. There's so much, there's, there's so much red ink on, and stain on their account. So blessed are the poor in spirit. The most blessed people in this life are the people who have Jesus. Have we realized this? What's the worst that could happen to any of us in this room today? What's the worst? Death. That's the worst, right? That's the worst. I mean, in the end, that's the worst that could happen in the end is death. That's it. That's as far as it goes. And then all that is the graduation for us, right? But you know the rest of the world's not like that, right? Without Christ, death is the worst thing. For us in Christ, it's not the worst thing. It's actually a blessing. I'm saying all that to say, look in the text. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Those who have realized their spiritual bankruptcy and placed their faith in Christ and now belong to the kingdom of heaven. I'm just going to tell you. You may not have all the money you want, all the relationships you want. You may not have the trinkets. You may not have the notoriety. You might not have the respect. There may be all these things that, that we may think you're missing if you're in Christ. But you're not near as down and out as what you think you are. You've got to remember, you are blessed. Regardless of what you think, in the grand sense of heaven, God says, if you're in Christ, if you're in me, if you know you're poor in spirit, you are blessed. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. And if there is more pleasure in being a part of the kingdom of earth than the kingdom of heaven, then my friend, you're missing the boat of what God has said. This is why there's nothing that anybody's done to you that you can't forgive. There's nothing that's happening that's not above God's grace. And listen, I know, I'm not saying it sounds trite. I'm just saying the worst that can happen is death. And in the end, the Bible doesn't look at that as a bad thing. It looks at it as a good thing. Now, we look at it as a bad thing, right? How bad do we see death? We see it so bad that we don't even want to show that we're aging anymore. Have you noticed that? Like, if you look at Hollywood, can you tell that, like, you can't tell that anybody's aging anymore? All you can see is that they smile and, like, you can't tell whether they're smiling or talking, right? It's like their faces are so like imprinted now. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you look at someone and you're thinking, they did not look like that 10 years ago, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. No one. No one wants to grow older because they think it's a bad thing. Not those who are poor in spirit. They don't think it's a bad thing. Ray Hansen said to me recently, and I've said it to a lot of people recently because it just got in my soul. We were talking one time, and I, I was saying something, and then Ray Hansen, who's our missionary to Mexico, right? And uh, by the way, we're planning on doing a mission trip this summer. We just put the dates together, believe. Um, George texted me this this morning. By the way, I don't recommend you tech, check your text during church, right? But just so I got it. He said it's got, it got set for June 17th through June the 23rd. Um, and we plan on taking a lot. We, we want to take a lot of you with us, but we'll talk more about that. But Ray Hansen said to me, recently we were talking, and he said, you can't scare me with heaven. <laughs> we were talking about death, all right? And that was his response, like, you can't scare me with heaven. That's those who are blessed. That's a blessed life right there, right? That's a person who's poor in spirit. They realize. By the way, you don't realize, when you realize you're poor in spirit, you're ready for salvation, the deal is this, you're, the reason you may not be ready for salvation, it's not because you need more apologetics or people haven't convinced you with all the arguments. It's because we may not realize that we're actually a, in cosmic rebellion against the God of heaven. You don't realize you're a sinner. If you don't realize you're a sinner, you'll never notice your, you'll never realize your need for a savior. What a blessed life.
You know what I like to do sometimes is just, and by the way, you may get tired. You know what I love about our church? Everybody knows what age I was when I was saved. <laughs> I've said it so many times. In fact, when I've said it wrong, I've been corrected. Like, no, that wasn't at 15, it was 16. You go, no, it wasn't, you know, like I've said it enough. Why do I talk about it so much? I'll tell you why. Because there's this, like, there's, this is, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm wanting to recall the goodness of my salvation. I'm, and every time I keep, I keep getting sticky with the things of life, right? I'm trying to figure out some way to stick, keep getting so sticky about things here that I'm forgetting that I'm, that, that I'm not meant to stick to this. I'm meant to stick to him. Heaven is my home. Verse 4. So that's a blessed life, the poor in spirit. And those who are poor in spirit who have Christ, they've entered into the kingdom. And then verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The most normal thing for a person to do who's in Christ is that they mourn over their sin. Yes, they mourn over their sin. Yes, they confess their sin. They mourn over it. And it's not this thing where, well, it's all under the blood and you, we just treat sin as cavalier. It's this thing of we moan and mourn over our sin and we confess it to God and we can be comforted. This is the great thing about being a Christian is you still sin when you're a Christian, but when you sin as a Christian, you have somewhere to take your sin. I still believe, First John one nine, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what's the, the worst thing about being an unbeliever? Here's the, one of the worst things. You'll never be comforted when you confess your sin as an unbeliever. You'll never be comforted when you confess your sin as an unbeliever. I mean, you know what it's like. If you're online and you hear, you know what it's like. You'll keep confessing and confessing and it's like you know that it's still there. The beauty of a follower of Jesus is that when we confess our sin, I'm talking about a godly confession, a godly repentance. The Lord restores us back into fellowship with him. So uh, David uh, Dries, actually in the worship team we were talking about it this morning in our kind of pre-worship um, kind of planning this morning, um, I read an um, article yesterday about the Asbury revival that's going on. Now, I don't know all the particulars, but the article that I read, there is a revival going on in Kentucky that's been, that, that, that started really out of um, a bunch of students came back after worship service and started confessing their sin. Like started confessing their sin. And then like it grew and grew. And for what I understand, they're still like having like daily worship meetings, but it's involving a confession of sin. What is that? That's a Mourning, right? Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, right? By the way, I, I'm so embarrassed that I think, the, I think the church as a whole in America doesn't really get this. If you notice that most of our new songs that come out have nothing to do about mourning over sin, right? In fact, most of us would run from a church that had anything unless the music was peppy and made us feel good about ourselves. I mean, when's the last time... I mean, by we, I'm not talking about army. I'm talking about in general, right? That, that they, you ever notice that no one really writes about mourning over sin that much, right? You know, it's like the new songs. That's not usually on the top of the greatest Christian hits. Hillsong's obviously not writing songs about that kind of stuff. Blessed are others who mourn. It was really interesting. I thought at 44, I would, I would think about. I would mourn less over sin than I do than I do now. 
Like when I was 18, I can remember, man, I became a Christian at 16, and boy, I really struggled with that life of sanctification from 16 and 18, all right? Does anybody remember those days, right? Just a little bit of rebellion going on in my, my, my heart and soul and life, and some rebellion that no one knew about, right? Even rebellion that, I, that my parents didn't know about because I was a good liar. Got any, got any good liars in here, right? Professional liars. If you don't know how to lie, come talk to me. I can, I can fill you in on how to do that well. But I can remember thinking, like when I graduated high school, thinking, okay, now I'm done with mischievousness, right? I'm going to shake this off and grow up and go to college and everything's going to be okay. Anybody ever thought that way, right? Do y'all know the end of that experiment? Uh, for some reason, sin still follows you. And you still want to get into it. I can remember thinking to myself, man, okay, someday I'll, I'll, be, I'll be free of this. At 44, I'm still not. But I can tell you this. Although I don't sin like I did when I was 18 or like I did between 16 and 18, I see myself more unrighteous today than I did then. And I appreciate and savor the Savior now more than I did then. It's called mourning, right? You're mourning. God comforts. God wants us to, God doesn't want us to get to this point where we mourn over our sin and the fact that we never trust that His grace is sufficient to forgive, but also He doesn't want us to be cavalier where it's just one of these things where we just pray like a hopscotch prayer and we just don't really mourn and take seriously the exceeding deceptive sin in our life. I wonder if that's why we don't see revival a lot is not more confession of sin, a mourning over sin. So this is the blessed life. I know people go like, oh, how is that blessed to mourn after sin? Oh man, it is so blessed. Like the more, the more we realize our rebellion against God, the more thankful we are for Him and the more gracious we are to others. It revolutionizes our life. The most miserable life any of us will live will to live a Pharisee's life. It'll make our relationship with God miserable and it'll make those around us miserable and there'll be nothing that anybody around us can ever do to fill our supposed, our supposed love tank, right? So we mourn and we're blessed, we're fortunate. Not everybody can do that. This is why I will tell you, please reject this idea that there's just as much divorce in the church as there is outside the church. That's not a true statistic, by the way. Not true, right? There is divorce in the church, but not like outside the church. And I'll tell you why. Because when you're in Christ, you, you can repent of sin and own up to your own sin and selfishness, right? Those outside of Christ don't have that ability, right? Like any marriage that two unbelievers, they can have, I mean, it's possible they can have a great marriage, but when push comes to shove, they're out, everybody's out for themselves. Like, you, th like that really becomes a difficult thing, but with Christians, it's totally different. We can actually own up to our sin. We can mourn over our sin. We can experience a, a, a type of marriage that is different from everybody else around. It's a blessed life that we get to live. So he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those that are lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. So this one is unique. It's only for people below five foot, the lowly. All you tall people, I'm sorry. Get right with Jesus. I don't know what to tell you. Blessed are the lowly. Now it's interesting. So I have the, the LSB version. It says lowly. If you've um, an NIV, it'd say meek. And a New Living Translation, it says humble. The NASB would say gentle. Um, all these are good words. 
Um, I, I really like the word humble. All these are good definitions. I, I really think the, the best, truest expression we see in this, blessed are the lowly, we're talking about humility, for they shall inherit the earth. The humble, blessed are the lowly. Here's what humility is. Humility is not talking bad about yourself, right? Obviously, humility is not making much of yourself. Humility is this idea of nothing is about self. That's humility. The interesting thing about humility is you stop being humble whenever you start thinking you are. That's the thing. You, you never really know when you're humble. You don't even know it. It wouldn't even, if you were a humble person, you wouldn't even have the capacity to even recognize it. Here's what a humble person looks like. Life is about the glory of God and the good of others. The glory of God and the good of others. Life is about this idea of what can I do for you for the glory of God and the good of others. I will tell you where there's no joy is when life is thought about the glory of me. Now I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this until the Jesus takes me home. The vast majority of the counselors of the average person sees and the books that are read and most of the sermons on the airwaves, I'm just telling you, most of the time it has nothing to do with humility. It's about making much of oneself. You get a book like, and I don't step on toes, but I mean, when you read it and you see between the lines, you've got great evangelical books out there that a lot of people have read, but in the end, it points a person to self and self-exaltation. The five love languages got some great stuff, but in the end, it's pointing to this idea that someone needs to fill your tank, right? Love and respect, great book, but it points to another idea that you'll get respect once you love him, and, 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 he'll, and he'll get, she'll get love once he gets respect, and once he gets respect, you'll get love. This idea of someone's got to do for me first. I want to say that's not the way of Christ. Here's our way. Our way is for the glory of God and the good of other person, the person. And this is the life that God will bless. This is the life that God will say, you're fortunate. Blessed are the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. Which, which means this, if we ever exalt ourselves and make it about ourself, that's when there's no blessing. Some of the most torturous lives are spent Always, always thinking that someone owes us something or someone needs to do something for us to make sure that we feel better about ourselves and that life is the way it should be. Man, that's a cursed life. This is what's great about Jesus. He has delivered us from this. This blessed are. This is normal living for people in Christ, this is normal. This is blessed. This is fortunate. The best life we'll ever live will be a life poured out for the glory of God and the good of other people. And a life that pours out like that won't even really consider the thing of, well, what has everybody done for me lately? You won't even have that capacity. And in that, you will experience the pleasure and glory of God. You will understand the Savior so much more. I love Philippians 2. It's the perfect example of what a humble life looks like. It's the life of Christ. And God's promise is, if you humble yourself, what will God do? He exalts. By the way, humble people don't even know when God does that. All they know is, I love the Savior more than I did yesterday. That's all a, a person who might truly be humble actually be able to say. Verse 6. So we see the blessings of being poor in, uh, poor in spirit. Blessings for those that mourn over their sin. Those that are humble. 
Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, when I became a follower of Jesus at age 16, ha, I got it right. I was going to say age 15 and see if you all corrected me, right? Here's one thing. I, I didn't know this at the time. No one pointed this out to me. But I can remember when I came to faith, I was already reading the Bible. But all of a sudden, the Bible went from something that I was trying to find God to all of a sudden, it was like I just wanted to feel God's pleasure. <laughs> like I just wanted to enjoy Him, right? I remember there being this hunger and thirst in my soul of like, I want more of this. I've tasted it. I want more. I want to know him more. I want to sing to him more. I want to think about him more. I want, to, I, I want more of this. I want more of this. That's part of being in Christ. Like, how can you not? If the Holy Spirit's within you, you look in 1 Corinthians 1, the, the Spirit of God connects with the Spirit of his word, and, and like there's a connection that happens right there, right? A hunger and thirst for righteousness. A hunger and thirst for a life that reflects the life of Christ. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hey, try doing this. If you're in Christ, if we're in Christ, and there's kind of this thing of like, Nick, I don't, I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. But I love him. I, I tell you, Nick, I love him. I really do, but I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then here's what I would say. What is it that you have been hungering and thirsting for, and you've been giving yourself that? It might be time to practice radical amputation. All right? That may be not watching the Super Bowl. Right? That may be... That may be cutting something like social media out of your life. That may be cutting something that, haps, that you love more than Jesus for a time so that you can say, I want to hunger and thirst for him. You know, a lot of times we don't hunger and thirst for him because we have so many great distractions around us. We really do. Y'all, it, y'all ever just wish you could just take the digital stuff and just throw it out the window? You ever just had that fantasy, right? There's so many distractions about hungering and thirsting for God. It's almost as if, have you ever drank salt water before? I can't recommend this. If you've, if you've ever drank salt water, does that quench your thirst? It makes you more thirsty. You know what we're doing a lot in life? We're drinking salt water. There's so many things in life, we're just drinking salt water. We're just drinking salt water. So look at verse 7. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here's what I love about this blessed are statement. When it says, blessed are merciful, for they shall receive mercy, you see this idea of forgiveness. You see this idea of, because I have been forgiven of so much, I will forgive others. Mercy. I love this idea. A lot of times I think in, in life, sometimes we, we kind of think to our, ourselves of, of, you know, this person did me wrong, therefore they need to experience the full wrath of God for something they've done. And I would say, God is good and holy and righteous. He will take care of things appropriately. But if I, if I was to stand before the Lord and he were to say, Nick, you were way too merciful to those people. I, I think I'd rather have that than say, Nick, man, you were just so hostile to those people. Blessed are the merciful, 
As much as I've been forgiven and showed mercy, I want to show mercy as well. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But do you look at this one and think, pure in heart? How can I ever be pure in heart? Like, man, that's a really hard one. You know what's really great about being in Christ? If you're in Christ, the Bible says you have a what heart? Yeah, a new heart, a pure heart. Now, th- does that mean you're perfect? No, but it does mean there's been this internal change, right? There's been this internal change that, that has so changed you where now your heart is not as divided. It can now be a single-minded heart. It is a heart that delights in the Lord. It's a heart that's found the true treasure. It's a heart that is seeking the Lord. Now, here's the thing that sometimes people think. There's no way the Lord can ever do that kind of change in my life. Really? You know, I was reading in Exodus um, last week, and what was really interesting about the children of Israel, while Moses is up there getting the blueprints for the tabernacle, the priestly garments, the Ark of the Covenant, all the furniture that goes in the tabernacle, right? Getting all the blueprints, right? Does anybody know what the children of Israel are doing at that time? They're building a golden calf, right? That with... I mean, some of that material was actually going to be devoted, right, to the temple, right, to the tabernacle, to go, right? This is stuff that they came out of Egypt with. Of course, I love that when Moses gets down from, the, from, from Sinai and he's asking Aaron about it, Aaron's kind of like, well, I don't know. I threw this gold in the fire and out came this calf. I, I don't even know what happened, Moses. I mean, it just kind of popped out here. I just love it. What, what, the, what, what, classic, what classic lying and blame shifting, right? Like, I don't know. It just came out. What's interesting is, that's a very, I mean, if we're talking about cosmic treason against Yahweh, he took you out of Egypt after over 400 years, showed himself more powerful than every pagan Egyptian god, and the first thing you do on the other side is, you decide to build something else and say, this is the God that delivered us, right? Just terrible, unfaithful stuff. But then you read in Exodus that Moses intercedes, right? And then when you read the end of Exodus, what do you discover? It says that when it came to building the tabernacle and the furniture, that the people of a willing heart started giving towards it. In fact, it says in Exodus that they started giving so much that they had to actually restrict them. Now, I want to tell you that story. Because that's not, in the middle of Exodus, that's not what you would have said about Israel. You would have said they were unfaithful. But by the end, the the mediation work of of Moses pointing us to the greater Moses, right? Like these people are being faithful from the heart. This is God's people. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We can have a pure heart. That heart is us. This is ours in Christ. This is normal. This is what we have. We have a changed heart. What's normal is to love him. What's normal is to confess sin. What's normal is to hate sin and love him. What's normal is to desire God. What's normal is to find pleasure in him. Above all things. Verse 9. This is number 7. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. A lot of times we're more peace breakers than peacemakers. We really are. Peacemakers, I would say, are people that they don't go for false peace. Sometimes we go for false peace, which is we're okay with unforgiveness and bitterness. We'll just avoid a person, right? We do a lot of that in Christianity, right? Someone's offended us or we've been offended by somebody and we just punt on them and go another route and have nothing to do with them again. That's not a peacemaker. That's a peacebreaker. 
Or someone's offended us and the first thing we do is go gossip to somebody who has nothing to do with the issue just so we can talk bad about the person. That's a peacebreaker, not a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone that says we're, there's an offense, one-on-one, we'll cover it, two to three if we have to. We'll keep working till we get resolution and reconciliation. That's a peacemaker. A peacemaker, ooh, this is a tough one. If you've, have you ever been asked to be the two or three witnesses? Like, for instance, one-on-one, someone had some issues, and then they couldn't get it resolved, right? So then they come over and go, you know, Sister Sue and Brother Bob. I just wanted to say those words, Sister and Bob. Take me back, right? I wish we, I wish we still use those words. It'd be great. Sister Sue and Brother Bob, um, man, we need your help. We need someone to be, be the two to three witnesses. We, we can't get it solved over here. Sister Sue and Brother Bob, will you come over here and, and sit down and, and, and help us reconcile? Would you be the peacemakers to help us? Now, most people would say, I'm not touching that snake. <laughs> but a peacemaker will. And by the way, if you're ever asked to do that, it is trench warfare, my friend. It is hard stuff. But blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. Those who are, walk, those who are in the Lord, who walk with the Lord... That is a godly thing to do, to be a peacemaker, not a peacebreaker. Verse 10, this is a blessed life. This is what we are. This is ours. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. If it says, blessed are you, persecuted, does that mean that sometimes persecution could be a blessing. Not intrinsically of itself, but that God could have his hand on that situation in such that you could enjoy him and love him and serve him and there could be a blessing in your life. Could God smile on suffering well? I'm not talking about suffering. I'm not talking about like, you know, like I don't know if, um, if you've ever read the book of Elihu. Um, I'm sorry, there's no book of Elihu. The book of Job, right? And he has his friend Elihu. There's one section where Elihu had some great Council, but there's one part where Elihu kind of basically says, well, if sanctification, if sanctification brings about godliness, then Job, I hope you suffer to the uttermost, right? And I'll go, well, we don't probably want to purposefully have suffering just, you know, just because it'd be fun. But if it comes, you could be doing it for righteousness sake and God smiles on it. Blessed are you in verse 11. Now, all this has been in third person, verses Three through ten, third person, third person. Now it switches over from these eight things to, now it switches over to second person, and he drills in on verse 10, which tells me God's paying special attention to persecution. They would go through it, so would we. And any of us, if you're ever persecuted for righteousness sake, that can be a blessing. That can be like a, God can smile on that. He says in verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. If you try to tell your family about the good news of the gospel and they hate you even more, you could be experiencing the smile of God. Rejoice, verse 12, and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right? But you ever notice that we don't like to, you ever notice that we don't like to suffer? You ever notice we don't like to suffer? We, if, if there has ever been a time in life where there is a culture that runs away from suffering at all costs, it's us. 
Now listen, I'm not saying there's not great things underneath the grace of God. There's some great things to help alleviate suffering. There really is. But I think, I think we've maybe gone a little bit too far. I think we've gone a little bit too far in our culture. We really have. There's so many things that we think, if I'm suffering today, I've got to get out of that suffering. So if there's a relationship where I'm suffering, I'm not talking about abuse. If there's a relationship where I'm suffering, got to get out of it. If there's an emotion I'm feeling, I am, we'll just see ourselves as just a, a piece of biology and we'll think, I can only solve this with, something, with some kind of pharmacology solution. By the way, not saying all medication is wrong, but what I'm saying is we don't want to suffer. We don't see any benefit in it. Do, are, are, we, are we clear on this? By the way, I will tell you this. Someone was asking me about this yesterday, so I'll just say it because I think God's people need to know it. Someone said to me the other day, what do you think about, what do you think about um, psychological medication? What do you think about depression medication? What do you think about anxiety medication? What do you think about that kind of stuff, Nick? And then here's what I'm, here's what I'm typically told. Pastor, you better stay away from that because you're not a doctor. Correct, right? I am not a doctor, right? So I don't ever consult people, and your pastor is not the guy to give you any kind of medical um, information. But I will say this. Not all problems we have in life are biologically driven. Not all are biologically driven. Some of those issues have issues with the soul. And then I would say this. If there's issues with the soul, now we're in my jurisdiction. I, and so I just want to say this. I had a professor one time um, who taught me, and here's what he told me. Um, he struggled with depression really bad. And in his book, actually, it's one of the books that's out here, actually, in our, uh, by Dr. Somerville. Um, it says, if I'm a Christian, why am I depressed, right? By the way, we got some great titles in there. I mean, if you're looking for a good book to read, I mean, and you want to like, is this a solid book? We've got, I believe, 35 titles out there that are great, great selections. But I want to speak into this for God's people. I'm not a medical doctor, but you got to be careful that when you decide to take a psychotropic medication and your physical man is strong enough where you can do the heart work, be careful how quick you run to something because we have this idea. I'm telling you, it's all over us right now where any bit of difficulty will give up faster than we've allowed the grace of God to meet us. Does that make sense? So I'm not condemning you. Don't walk out of here. Hide your medication from Nick. I, I may be there. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I may be there. But I fear for God's people today. I really do. I really do. Jesus says this. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Now, that's not the context of when I'm making that discussion about psychotropic medication, but I'm just saying clearly in the text of Scripture, there is a such thing as having some pressure in life and that God blessing you and meeting you in the midst of that. Are y'all catching what I'm dropping down here? Are you catching that? Clearly God can meet you. Now here's the end of the matter, 13 through 16. These are all positions of what you are. Verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, the commentary in verse 11. This is what we are. This is what we are. 
Now we end with verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, how will it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. You ever been confused about 13 through 17? The key to understanding 13 through 17 is to understand verses 1 through 12. Verse 1 through 12, the manifestation of it is in 13 through 16. And it's not like you, you, it's, it's not like you have to do anything. Like when it says, let your light so shine, what it's talking about, it's not this thing where you get on the rooftop and go, look at me, everybody. It's as we consistently live out the blessed life of what we are in the text of the Beatitudes, you can't help but shine forth the light of God. You can't help. And here's what light always does. It always shines out on darkness. And not only that, Verse 13, the salt of the earth. Salt in that day was used something to preserve. It was something that preserved. It was a preservative. And so, even so, as we're living out the Beatitudes, we are, we are the salt of life, right? Be salty. Not with your language, but be salty with your life, right? Be salty, be light. But here's the truth. That's naturally what happens. That's the natural outflow of the blessed life, the Beatitudes. That's what's natural. We are salt in life. And we end with verse 16. They, got, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Not you, but that God would get glory, that he would be preeminent, that he would be worshiped, and that he would be loved. Would you stand to your feet and we can pray over this? I have a great song to sing to you, sing back to the Lord. Worship team, you make your way up here. The blessed life, the happy life, the fortunate life. Man, we've got so much from God. I look forward here in a minute to sharing a meal with you, for us declaring what, what God has done this week in our life. I look forward to um, taking the Lord's Supper, to mourning over our sin, but then to enjoy what we have in Him. Look forward to that. Would you pray with me? Would you honor your word? Would you honor the thoughts of God that we so need? God, we need this. Would you help us? We love you because you first loved us. May you write the Beatitudes on our soul because this is what's normal. This is us. This is what we are. In Jesus' name, amen.